it's part of a really good life to savor what is available and serve. That should be a huge part of your life. Make sure that um, you leave the world a better place than you came into to it with whatever you can, uh, whether it's you were a good friend to somebody, you helped anybody out, you left something of beauty in the world. Um, just try to be of service to something other than yourself, something greater. Um, be subservient to the fact that there are more important things in the world than you. So I, I am the type of person who thinks that, um, you know, a sunset's beauty is there for a reason. It's there to be um, admired. And if you just don't admire it, it's it's a damn shame. <laughs> it's like a it's like a cosmic error <laughs> um, that a, a flower blooms for many reasons, of course, but that um, it is also blooming for for us to enjoy and. Uh, so I really do believe in savoring and serving and that, that those are two qualities of a good life. Lovely. Okay, so Candace, how can people find you? I have a website, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Candacebohannon> .com. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, I have an email. I have a phone, but I'll never answer it, so don't bother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all, all that is on your, yeah, not, your so not your phone number, but all the all the other stuff, your your social yeah, media stuff. That's all on through your website, yeah. And my, yeah, yeah, and my my gallery. Um, that if you're interested in purchasing my work, that is the place to go. My, uh, Richard J. D'Amato Gallery in Sag Harbor, New York. They handle all of my art sales. Great. And Julio, how can people find you? Julioreyes.com, um, and uh, if they want to, there they can find my uh, Facebook and Instagram, um, the social media stuff. Um, and if they want to see my work in person, then they can go to my gallery or contact my gallery. And my gallery's uh, Arcadia Contemporary, and they're now in Los Angeles. They moved from New York, um, so I, there's a show coming up in April. Um, made in California show and I'll have some pieces in that show uh, and I'll be able to see, actually see the new gallery space for the first time um, but yeah that's where you can find me okay great and uh, if people have questions are you happy to answer them in the comments Both yeah I, be I believe sure. we, we will um, sometimes we have have time to answer a whole bunch of questions and, and other times it might, you know, be slow a couple of weeks before we respond. Uh, so <laughs> okay. forgive us. We will try to get to it eventually. <laughs> okay. But we might be really fast on it too. Right. <laughs> uh, well, it's, um, it's been lovely uh, talking to you and getting to know you both a bit better. Uh, it's been a long uh, conversation, <laughs> but I think a very good uh, conversation. I, I, f I find you both very inspiring. Not only your technical skills are like very impressive, like you're both very good painters, but the uh, integrity that you bring to what you do 
it's it's uh, uncommon, you know, and uh, it's a lovely thing to see because it's so considered. You don't, you don't, uh, neither of you uh, seem to uh, take anything for granted. Uh, you're very appreciative. Um, and even if you weren't painters and you weren't artists, just the, the very palpable love between the two of you is just, that's inspiring on its own, like just to, to uh, talk to people who are so um, happy together and so uh, loving of each other. But then you all, what you also bring to your work uh, is uh, brilliant. It really makes it um, pulsate. Both you express yourselves obviously very differently, but... Um, that that uh, authenticity and integrity is is there, uh, and uh, I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful to you both for, for uh, doing what you do. And I think we're grateful to you. Thank you for yeah. contacting us and inviting us to do this. Um, I'm I'm a very shy person. So I I I would love to just say no to everything and, and <laughs> never <laughs> never come out of my box. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> You said so that we it, could do it might take a little bit more energy for me to do this than Julio, who's a little bit more naturally gregarious. But um, but he, you know, but we, we will. I'm more gregarious. <laughs> I was willing to get dressed up for an interview, so it's nice to do this in my PJs here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, John, thank you so much. The conversation was wonderful, and uh, your your questions were really thoughtful. And boy, it's really it's really easy to talk to you. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And now that I'm done uh, with with the interview, I look forward to listening to all of them. <laughs> That's great. Okay, well, um, I'm sure we'll be in touch, but for now, uh, thanks very much, and um, goodbye. All right, John. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, you take care. I've never felt this good in my entire life. Make me some spaghetti. This episode is brought to you by Artifacts Panels. That's A-R-T-E-F-E-X. Now, look, you know how I feel about working on canvas and the bounce. I don't like it. And I've been talking about aluminium panels for years now. I like the firmness of a wood panel, but I'm not wild about the shininess. So my rough working plan was to sort of glue canvas to an aluminium panel. I even found a signage company I could buy the big 8x4 sheets from. Did I actually do anything about it? No. Why? Because it's too much hassle. All that the cutting, the priming, taking delivery of an 8x4 sheet, the gluing. How do you even glue it down? That's why I was so delighted when I came across Artifacts Panels. Again, that's A-R-T-E-F-E-X. They do everything for you in whatever shape or size you want with whatever substrate you want. You can get panels with canvas, with linen, cotton, paper, or copper, which is shiny. And they're adding new substrates all the time. Artifacts panels protect your work from warping, cracking, tearing, and using these panels ensures your artwork will last the test of time, which is something I hadn't even thought about. And it also means your work will be resilient to humidity and temperature changes, which is brilliant. So if you go to the website, you can see the standard sizes of panels you can get. They start at like 5x7 and they go up to like 48x48. But if you like to work big, which I know a lot of you do, they also specialize in custom shapes and sizes up to 5 foot by 10 foot. 
big aluminium panels are great for transport because they're lightweight. So, to help you get started, the lovely people over at Artifacts are giving you 10% off when you use the code DALTON10. That's D-A-L-T-O-N-1-0, DALTON10 for 10% off. So, go to the website, artifacts.biz, that's B-I-Z, and try them out. These panels are really brilliant, and I can't recommend them highly enough. Hello. Hi. Is it working? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, that's great. Thanks for coming on earlier. <laughs> yeah, no problem. It's, uh, so what's the time difference? It's six hours. It's, it's okay. five hours in New York, but it's one extra hour in uh, Austin. So that's yeah. helping out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my um, family in Sweden, it's seven hours. From here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll make sense. Yeah. 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 Mainland Europe is there an hour ahead of us, so that's the that'll be the extra one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's lovely behind you. Is that a painting or? Well, this is just a, a printed uh, fabric that you can buy online. For, oh, okay. like they have different signs for backdrops and such, and then these are paintings that are very badly glared right now. But, yeah. No, I can sort of see them. They're lovely. Yeah. I was trying to set up a spot where it's not so messy. It's a little chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I just got back into town, so, you know, it's always that, you know, frenzy before you leave. Yeah, right, yeah. That's the thing yeah. with film, isn't it? It sort of made everyone make little corners, lovely little corners <laughs> for filming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is the only well, lovely corner in this room. <laughs> well, it looks lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Now, if you're listening, I am talking to Karen Office in um, Texas, in Austin, Texas. Which I've just discovered is an hour, <laughs> there's an hour, extra hour <laughs> yeah. to New York. Um, and is it? Is that what it is? Central, is it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's probably, that's probably, you know, very obvious to everyone, but not to me. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, is is Tech is uh, Dallas? Or is, is there some other part of Texas that's not on Central? Uh, that's a good question. Um, wonder if the west part of Texas maybe maybe, but I, I'm not sure. Never no, no, it's on Eastern. Because I've talked to people before in Texas, so in my mind it was like Texas. Okay, oh. that's five hours difference. Great, it's just it's all on the East Coast. It's beautiful. And uh, it's it's not. It's not, Karen. <laughs> and yet it's a huge state. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. You probably fit about three islands into Texas. Um, yeah. Right, just to give you time context for our conversation, today is Wednesday, the 6th of April, 2022. For someone listening who hasn't seen your work, Karen, how would you describe your paintings? Um... I don't know. It's it's kind of funny. I, as a as a joke, I would say I paint nouns. Nouns. <laughs> nouns. <laughs> I paint nouns. Um, it's it's realism, um, representational art, meaning that I paint things I see. 
uh, paint people. I, I, you know, still live landscape. Um, but mainly figurative and portraiture type, you know, heavy on that. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm a, um, I'm not really tight with my paintings, even though it looks, it's funny because I have people that see my work like on, on the screen or, you know, if there's like a, a magazine or something and they're like, oh, wow, it looks like a photograph. And I'm like, well, it's a photograph of a painting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but when you see it up close, then you see all the brush work and all that. So it's, you know, I, it's hard to say. It's just rep, it, it's just realism, contemporary realism. And yeah. uh, hopefully, for the most part, people understand what that means. You know. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. What did you mean by nouns, though? That sounded very intriguing. People, places, and things. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's the uh, limit of my uh, knowledge. Yeah, we make a, we make a joke yeah. around. Yeah, uh, so okay. we make a joke about yeah. it. With a, yeah. yeah, that's good. Nouns, yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right, so we've had lots of questions come in on social media, so we get into them. Um, mm -hmm. Taylor, Taylor Tynes in Salt Lake City says, Hi, John and Karen. I'm always interested to hear about the first steps that people took to pursue art as a career. What were some of the decisions early on that led to you being a full-time artist? As always, thanks for a wonderful podcast, John. You're welcome, Taylor. And then also, Amanda Lee Jones in Austin says, when did you realize you would be a professional artist versus a hobbyist? So, yeah, they're looking for your origin story. Yeah. Boy, that's a, that's a bottle of wine. Um, so, <laughs> I would say... Well, you know, growing up in Texas, I grew up in Dallas, and um, and so back in the 80s, you know, they didn't, 90s, they didn't have any kind of good academies or ateliers. I mean, it just wasn't. And we didn't have internet and, you know, all those things. So I really had to learn on my own, and but even in school, you know, I would just drawing while I'm listening to the lessons and such it, it just somehow connected me it's like the right brain and the left brain disconnected yep. and what was distracted by while the other part is listening um and somehow it was I was able to focus more even though it looked like I was distracting myself but um you know we all and I love drawing my dad painted and he was a good artist. He just never really applied, to, you know, himself due to the fact that he just, where do you do it? You know, where do you learn the technical skills? So, so, you he, so he painted, but he wasn't a professional painter. Is that what you mean? He could have been. Yeah, he was good, but I think he couldn't focus on it enough. Yeah. You know, he had other things he liked to do. So it was more of a hobby. I think for him. And then my mom had um, a needlepoint uh, wholesale company. She's, you know, she came uh, from Sweden in her early 20s and, um, you know, got a job at Neiman Marcus because they were looking for exotic European ladies. And uh, so <laughs> then, yeah. <laughs> Tall blonde with a heavy accent, you know. Okay. Why? Uh, why? Why that? 
it gives it that that kind of European flair, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe, you know. Um, and you don't so, have to tell me about European flair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dripping in it. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes. Um, uh, so, so yeah. And then she opened up a knit shop, you know, knitting mm-hmm. and crocheting. And then she, you know, so she's very independent, but she's very focused. And um, she was also a seamstress um, and a dressmaker. So she she had a lot of creativity in her and very driven. Um, but uh, anyway, so so back to, you know, kind of learning on my own and drawing and painting, more drawing than painting. And then I got various art jobs. Um, I was painting custom tiles. Um, and then I was, uh, painting for this company in Dallas with, uh, it's like life-size Alice in Wonderland furniture where it's cut out in the size of a, you know, life-size. And then there's a pattern, like a rabbit with some Victorian dress or pig with some, you know, so I I was doing that kind of painting, and it was just kind of um, uh, on an assembly line, pretty much. Um, yeah. And then I got into my my mom had uh, eventually turned her sold her shop and got uh, started a needlepoint um, wholesale company, and she was designing uh, needlepoints in different, you know kind of Asian influences, William Morris influence, um, things like that. Um, and so I started designing for her a little bit on the side. Um, and then, you know, those, uh, those portraits that you, that started back in the nineties, I think, where they take the old kind of Renaissance, uh, paintings and put a dog head in it. I do. Yes. <laughs> so that was a thing. So you were doing I started, that? I did for needlepoint. Oh, and okay. What I did was I tried it on a needlepoint canvas uh, the first try, and it was like, this is going to take too long. People are going to have to pay thousands of dollars to make it worth my time because it's just, you know. And you're also accommodating stitchers, so they have to stitch different mm-hmm. colored uh yarn and uh so then i just then we decided to look into screen printing and that's when i learned photoshop and so i would essentially paint using photoshop and i'd paint the background so this is how i i'd paint the background like the general for example and then have like a a yorkie head yeah. You know, and like the paws to fit. And um and then the customer might say, Oh, I love that, but I want my Saint Bernard in there. And so I would just do the Saint Bernard head and then flatten it image, have it sent out and printed. So there was a whole like we called it the the distinguished guest series. Right. So, um you know, it's like, oh, I, like, I have a tabby cat. And I'm like, okay, well, here, you know. So I did a lot of things. 
um, but it wasn't satisfying. And then um, I really wanted to explore painting, and I and I just never found the right kind of class. And then I went to this. Uh, I looked again, not having internet, not having a computer. I looked in the yellow pages. You know, the book that actually has phone numbers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in Ireland, it was called the Golden Pages. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I looked it up, and the first thing I see is Austin Fine Arts Classes. And it was taught by this, this woman, Elizabeth Locke, who's amazing. She's very much a stickler for staying on track. But she um, – I, I didn't want to just sign up. I wanted to look in the window first and make sure that this is what I'm looking for. So I went over there, and I – peeked in the window, nobody was there, but you see all these easels and paintings on the wall, and I and I knew. I, I was like, this is what I need. This is how <laughs> I need to learn. It sounds like there was harp music playing when you looked in the window. Yeah. yeah. It was Coral. Like background. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, so, and it was great. And with all the painting and draw, or drawing that I've done over the years, the first thing she had me do was sit at those benches the drawing benches, and then big newsprint. You take a piece of uh, charcoal and do figure eight and breathe. And I was like, wait, what? You know? Yeah. It's like this meditative, like, wait, I thought I was, wait, what class is this? <laughs> you know? But it was Were the figure eights uh, vertical or on this side? No. Just, it's, it's, it's about breathing and holding, you know, your arm out, you know, and just kind of using your whole body and yeah. kind of going with it. And I thought, you know, after that, I realized it was sort of a reprogramming. Yeah, that's why I asked yeah. you about which way. Because in kinesiology, um, uh -huh. when you do them on your side, you can, like, if, if, you, if you're going to do an exam or something like that, uh -huh. if you make, um, they're called lazy eights. But they're on their side, so it's more like the infinity sign. But if you if you look at your finger with your um, eyes as you may as you trace this, it mm -hmm. integrates your left and your right hemispheres of your brain. Oh yeah! And it just makes you fire on all cylinders. You just do that yeah. for like five minutes. You just follow. Keep your head steady, and you just you move your eyes, and it uh -huh. yeah, it works really well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. I never even heard of that but I mean it did make sense because it was just sort of this calm you know and and trying to focus and you know instead of you know when you paint like this and you're like all tense and your fingers are tense yeah, you yeah. know this is like getting away from that yeah so yeah. I so, could see how that would have scrambled your eggs but I was like I didn't come here to do this <laughs> yeah <laughs> wait a minute is there some yoga mat here or, you know <laughs> But it was great. It was great. And then I learned so many things through her. And, um, and you know, I didn't come not knowing how to draw or paint. It was just learning a whole new format and yeah. a whole new way of seeing. And so I was doing a lot of things I'd never done before. And it was great learning um, color and how it all works. Um, and, uh, yeah, so so then, but that was my first kind of 
start to, you know, I really want to learn this, regardless what I do with it. Um, and I want to pursue it. I, I just want to pursue trying to create. I've always been that one, like, how did people do that? You know, when I would yeah, see yeah. art, like, oh, that's what they did back in the day. You know, these people that were magical and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um yeah, so so I I was like, okay, maybe maybe I could learn something like that, you know, and it was just so fast. I just loved it. I loved making something look real, you know. That was my drive, and how how to make it take it to the next level. Um, so on on that note, I we continued. Uh, we would take. Uh, uh, workshop and um, that was a whole new thing to me as well and the first workshop we hosted or the Elizabeth hosted was Ron Hicks okay and that was the first time we've I you know done anything like that so um, and then uh, and then I've gone to a couple of uh, other workshops with I think David LaFell at the Fredericksburg Artist School, which is really close. Um, David LaFell, Kim English, Fred Croyd. Um, so starting to kind of learn different methods once I got comfortable. And then Quang Ho. Um, both, both of those yeah. have been on the, on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Um, and so Kwong is the one that really opened the door for me for my first gallery in, in Houston, Texas. And uh, that's when I was like, yeah, I think I could actually do this. Wow, wouldn't that be something, you know? <laughs> um, he introduced me to the gallerist, and, and I was like, wow. I got a check for some paintings, you know. I was like, this is a whole new ball game. So, yeah. Uh, and that's when I kind of said, you know what, this is the direction I'm going. And yeah. now I'm going to try to do the professional thing. Yeah, yeah. Pretty so. Mm-hmm. Did I address both of those you did, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll touch on it again with other questions, but yeah, that's a great yeah. start. Okay. Um, Igor Igor Kristic in Serbia says, "Who are your favorite artists? Three from the past and three from modern times." And Lisa Brechen in Austin oh. says, "Karen is amazing. I'd love to know who her favorite living art living painters are." So yeah, who who? who I, are oh my gosh. I'm so influenced by so many people. <laughs> um, okay, so dead artists. You know, I, I can't narrow it down to three. I I can say, you know, Sargent, Roya, um, Zorn, for, and um, Freud. Um, maybe maybe group those together. Um, contemporary is across the board. Uh, I like so many things, so many different artists for so many different reasons. Um, uh, Larissa Brecken, she is amazing, by the way. She's 
I love her work. In fact, I bought one of her pieces. Um, but, uh, gosh, uh, I would say that's a hard one. Rose Franson. Um, just love the energy she puts into her paintings. Have you ever? Did she yeah, do, I think so. Know? Yeah, I didn't. She uh, hasn't been on the podcast, but I think I know her work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's. When you watch her paint, it's like being on her magic carpet ride. <laughs> <laughs> it is the, you know, she'll take these these spatula clay things, or I don't know, these little rubbery combs. And then she'll take oil sticks and just, you know, make these huge gestures. And you're like, where, where's she going? Where's she going? And then all of a sudden, this image emerges through. And, and it's like, yeah, you, you get chills seeing it. It's beautiful. Um, so I love her. Um, I don't know if I can nail it. Um, I love, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if I can just do three. Oh, um, so let me see if I can if I were to say something like I love Galucho in Spain. Um and uh I think there's too many to count. There are way too many to count, like top favorites. There's so many, and there's so many yeah. great artists doing so many great things in so many ways. Oh, Will St. John, Colleen Berry. I mean, the list kind of goes on. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's really, yeah. it's sort of a loaded question because I'm so amazed by so many artists now and yeah. love the things they do and the risks they take in uh, their approach and you know maybe it's not the way I do it but they do it so well it's just like that that you know it just opens up the, the possibilities you know and I love yeah, doing yeah. that yeah Brilliant. are all your like inspirations art heroes are they all painters or do you have other you know literature film music do, you know, heroes that way? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not really sure. I, I mean, huh. I think I think I probably am. That's, that's a question I've never thought of, frankly. Um, but I think I am, motive, you know, inspired by certain... Um, certain like movies and such or um just the way they I don't know. I think it's more visual than anything. Yeah. I'm looking at you know, I'm trying to create a timeless atmosphere with with certain lighting and so if I watch, for example, some period piece on a movie or a show and see how, you know, I'm watching it, fascinated, but I'm also visually enticed because it's like, how did they make that light, you know? Yeah. So I guess in a way that's just a visual kind of thing. Um, but I am inspired by people who are close to me, too. Um, so, 
So that's, I, I think it's more my own personal connection with people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just mm-hmm. watched um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire last night. Have you seen that? No. It's great. It's a French movie. Um, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, it's a period piece. When you said it, it just uh-huh. reminded, me, reminded me of it. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, about, it's, about, it's about a painter, lady painter, who falls uh-huh. in love with her sitter. It's great. It's very good. Highly oh, recommend. wow. Yeah, yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's very good. Yes, yes. Put that in the notes. <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. Um, you've kind of answered this, but um, Stephen Duluth in Texas says, "Was Ron Hicks at some point an influence on your work?" I've always loved your paintings. I think um, because seeing Ron was a- is able to create without going in so much detail, create a mood. Um, kind of, that's what I was drawn to, that sort of timeless quality of his work and the loose quality of his work. Um, you know, I, I always was really tight with my drawing before I went to, uh, the fine, the school here. Um, and one thing that she, Elizabeth recommended for every five brush strokes, do three. You know, just to break it down a little bit. And so it was really hard for me to kind of conceptualize that and understand that. And so seeing his work really motivated me to say, oh, it's okay to break it down. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like you don't see the opportunities until it's in your face. And you're like, how did he do that? That's amazing. So, like, and I – and. And so I was very, in the beginning, very inspired by him and then, and then slowly wanted to, it's sort of like, you know, I was real tight and then I expanded out and got real loose, but then now I'm kind of going back in and, and manipulating the two ideas and adding more color, um, and, you know, being deliberate with the brush strokes. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I just wanted that flexibility. Yeah. So with that, um, for every five brushstrokes, let me do three. Is that a case of you make five brushstrokes and you get rid of two, or you edit before <laughs> you make the brushstroke? You edit before you make the brushstroke. So okay. instead of thinking you have to fill in all, you know, try just three and see if you can capture the same amount of, intensity and and uh but realism you know and make it make it look three-dimensional you know it's just breaking it down so that you're not going into too much detail too soon yeah very good Mm -hmm. um so how does the idea for a painting start for you like what's the inception process are you and and how do you record your ideas? Like, are you do you make little thumbnails? Do you write things down? Do you make little voice memos? What sort of things do you do? Um, I I um, don't do those things, and I should. Um, but <laughs> my brain works more on the visual level, and so what I'll uh, I collect props, I collect backdrops, I collect tchotchkes, things like that, and. Uh, 
and then I find the right model. And so I know that there, I did look up some of the questions on the list and um, a lot of people ask about like photography versus painting um, uh, in real life. And um, I practice painting at the studio at our studio, Atelier Dojo. We have the open sessions and it's a really good way to practice. But when I'm painting on my own, I don't have a model here sitting for me 24 seven. And so I, I do photography mainly. Yeah. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll have a screen set up. And so I'm, even though it's there, it's, uh, it's painting from observation as if the person is there. So, um, so I think that, uh, you know, like I'm looking for a certain scene, so I might be inspired by, um, you know, like I, I want to do some uh, backlighting or some some different colored light. I have a great, uh, my studio has north light, which is great. Um, so I have a lot of flexibility. So that's where I kind of go in my brain as far as, uh, trying to come up with a with an interesting lighting situation right and then finding uh the model that would just fill that space um and then what i am inspired by is uh, just kind of textures um elements like that um and then i throw in like personal elements from family from from things i've collected over the years um and you know things like that but i'm i think um i don't know if i answered the question i think i did <laughs> yeah it sounds like collage actually the way <clears throat> you're yeah. talking about it it's like you bring together mm -hmm. a lot of things until something clicks and and right. then that, that's like yeah i'm off and running now yeah. Is that, yeah. that right? Yeah. And um, sometimes I don't know the, you know, what the uh, inspiration or the title of a painting is until after I've painted it. And I think, oh, wow. Okay. You know, <laughs> so it's sort of like, uh, it, in a way, it's like I'm finding what moves me, but I'm not thinking about it. I'm just scrambling to put something together yeah. and then and I know what I want but then I figure it out later what's, what's compelling for me personally about it yeah. so so you could take like hundreds of photographs and you maybe use two you know because yeah. you're, you're finding that right piece the right moment and um, so yeah um, and there's a lot, there's a lot, many levels to that too, so. Yeah. So it sounds like um, you're, the main kind of thing is you're sort of following your, I don't know, your gut feeling or what moves you as you're collecting all these elements mm -hmm. and putting them together and organizing them. That's the main, mm -hmm. that's, your, that's like your barometer for how it's going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um and uh as an example 
uh, I think you posted something about that painting of my son with the trapper hat. Mm, yeah, it was one of the paintings. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's my older son. He's does about four years ago. And uh, what was what was really funny is my husband was out of town. I had the two boys, and they had just gotten their pajama pants on, and I was setting up to have a model in the morning come by after they went to school. And so I was putting fabrics on the wall, getting the camera set up on a tripod, playing with lights, and then they're running around in my studio like bandits. And my <laughs> Carl, my son, was uh, he was like, "What are you doing?" And and so he, I said, "I'm gonna have a model tomorrow." And he, he said, "Ooh, take a picture of me." And he grabbed the hat and he grabbed the orchids and he just went into pose and played with you know different poses. And I was taking pictures, and it was so funny because when that uh, model came the next day, all I could think about was I got to paint my son, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, so, and it was really funny. I was like, okay. You, you, did, you didn't kind of go, could you put this hat on, hold these orchids? No, right. it. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, he just automatically, in like 30 seconds, I, I made like two paintings and, uh, wow. and from it. And one of them, yeah, so, and, was, and so I titled it Offspring. Because he's an offspring. He's also an offet and it was spring. You know, so <laughs> yeah. flowers, whatever. So, um, yeah. It's just kind of kooky that way. And, and you find different things that... that yeah, you know, yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. And then some of it is really... Like, I did a painting of my other son. Um, and that painting is... is um, well, since I did that painting of Carl with the hat... And I sold it. It was a 30 by 20. I wanted to make sure that I honored my younger son and did do the same thing, you know, a 30 by 20 with him posing, but he's not a poser. <laughs> so uh, I had to film him. I had to do video and, and because he would start cracking up and he's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd have to get a still from him before he's, like, trying to hold his face. You know, and then before he's like cracking up, you know, and, and then looking bored, and then all that. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And um, Eva Hovelsrod in Norway says, "Hi, Karen. And um, how do you decide what to paint next?" Well, um. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I um I try to line up some images that I have ready to paint when the time allows me to like put hours into a painting. Um so I look for it's sort of like I have the images prepared and all I need to do is get the substrate and the sizes that I want and just have it lined up. And um, 
But sometimes if I don't find the time to paint, I mean, I like to put in like an eight-hour day with breaks, but an eight-hour, like, solid painting, no disruption, you know, I really like that kind of I can really get something done by the end of the day and feel like I've made progress. Um, but if I can't do that, I'll just get like a little panel and throw some paint down because I just need to, <laughs> mm. you know, if I don't have the time. But I'm going to make a couple hours work for me and uh, try, to, try to make a smaller painting. I mean, um, I don't know. I, I think the argument to I, just bigger paintings take a little longer. In smaller paintings, you can you can get, or at least I can get more done in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I line them up, and um, uh, and then I have models that I'm going to have come and do shoots and um, just kind of gather as much information and using my uh, my things that I want to kind of, you know, my props and stuff. I love props. <laughs> yeah, oh, so it sounds like there's a sort of a queue. There's a sort of a queue. Yes. And uh, whichever one is at the top of the queue gets yes. painted next. Yes. And, uh, I mean, it's a very practical kind of thing. Um, and Sometimes, though, I'll see a paint, like an image I want to paint, but I don't feel ready to paint it. So I'll put yeah. that in the back of the queue yeah, and then work on some other things. And then there'll be a time where it's like, you know, I'm ready to tackle it and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you, where do you get your props from? Do you get them from? Oh, all like, over. All over. And do you uh, do you pass them on when you're finished, or do you have a big warehouse full of props? <laughs> uh, well, I don't have. I built a one of those IKEA um, uh, closets for some of the props. I do need to thin it out a little bit, but some of it is collected through um, my mom's things. You know, like the fabric behind my my um, son's. Trapper um, painting that was fabric. She was going to make herself a coat. It's a cruel design, um, and she never did. And I said, "Are you going to do anything with it?" She's like, "Nah." And so I took it. So it's a backdrop, you know. Um, and then my aunt, who just recently passed away, who's a huge inspiration for me. Um, I have. Uh, garments and hats and things from her her that I use and um, her daughter my cousin used to work for Ralph Lauren and I got some some um, they have a warehouse full of like leftover inspirational vintage things and so, so I'm using some of those like kimonos that are hand stitched um, and hand embroidered. Um, I make things too. I make ruffs. <laughs> so What's a rough? I kind of uh, I kind of do 
like well you know the elizabethan collar oh yeah yeah right, right. Yeah, you know? yes. and um i've made a few of those um and uh played with that i i like making uh props as well so yeah 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 um i i get vintage um dresses and you know uh coats and such so yeah yeah um i think it was pamela wilson i was saying this to that it, um would, wouldn't it be great if there was like like central casting for props where there was this place where you know it just was nothing but props and you could just borrow them for painters you know um rather than having yep. everyone having to collect yeah. all these uh <laughs> props in their own space and that you know yep. they can't you know you can't use them in every painting but you could you know you could circulate them right right no absolutely i think it'd be great i wish i wish they would have something like that um because there's stuff that, you know, that I'll use maybe once or twice, and then, like, well, yeah. okay. I'm sure they must have them for movies. Like, there must be, you know, like, isn't it like wardrobe kind of thing? Like a, a, yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah, recently. Okay, so if you're listening, you know, there's a great business opportunity. You're there you welcome. go. You're, you're very welcome to it. <laughs> yes. Thank um, you for the idea. Awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Galen Ribiera on Patreon. Thanks for the tea, Galen. Says, John, thank you so much for bringing Karen onto the show. You're welcome. She's been an art hero of mine for a while now, and I'm grateful for the chance to ask her some questions. Karen, your paintings have such a beautiful elegance and virtuosity. How important is working from life in your current art practice? Um, as far as Painting from life and painting from a screen or a photograph, I try to adhere to the same principles of, uh, as if I was painting from life, you know, where I, I go into a direct painting and I start just painting from observation. I think it's a great practice to paint from life as often as you can. If, if you go to, if you hire a model, if you go to any open sessions, it's just good practice so that your painting from life mimics what you paint from a photograph, you know, so it's all cohesive. Um, so, yeah, I paint from life, you know, on – I haven't done a lot of painting in the last two months um, because of my, my, my family, uh, my aunt who passed away because I'm helping – with that, but uh, uh, but it's it's a great practice once a week just to go in and practice painting from life, um, because all the things that you know should all the things you know how to do painting from life should be consistent with how you would paint from a photograph. I mean, personally, like sometimes I can't sleep, and so I'll just start painting, and I can't hire models but you know because <laughs> hey i know it's two in the morning but you know <laughs> do you mind um and plus it's just it's you could spend 20 hours on a painting and it's just not conducive it's not you know financially conducive and it's hard to to get it all done yeah 
Leslie Smith on Patreon. Thanks for the tea, Leslie. He says, Karen, your work's incredible. I love your style, which is so bang up to date, but has echoes of past art movement. Art movement greats, sometimes pre-Raphaelite or Impressionist, etc. But always mm-hmm. with a very individual twist that is yours. What art from previous generations do you think inspires the way you pose and characterize your models? Well, I guess I really am, you know, what I like about, for instance, Sargent, you know, I went to go, what's that museum called in Chicago? It's at the, um, sorry, I, I, there was this, I went to a museum in Chicago. <laughs> it's at the, um, oh my God, my, my, it's escaped me. But anyway, so I, when you see this art in books, you cannot see the total, like every individual brushstroke. And so I went to see the sergeant, this huge portrait, and this woman with a long gown. And I could see one of the lights from the gown was, I would say, about two inches, an inch and a half to two inches of just one brushstroke that I couldn't see on the uh, in a book. Mm. And so I find that there's opportunities to really, I love those opportunities where you can really get a good, like, solid, juicy brush stroke in that's not kind of overpowering everything else. It just creates an edge. Um, but I'm also very, I would say, like, the, yeah, maybe Art Nouveau movement and um, Steichen. What's that photographer? Steichen? Is it his name? Um, uh, but uh, it's very atmospheric. And I would actually say that Larissa Brecken was also inspired in that kind of movement where I'm, I like the colors, but I also like dark kind of moody tones where some people like really lighten and airy tones. Um, and maybe it's because I'm from Texas and everything's so <laughs> flat and, and bright that I, I like seeing the kind of cave, like figures coming out of the dark or, you know, I like yeah. that pure hero. Um, so... So I guess it's – I don't know if I answered the question, but uh, – Well, you did a bit, but more about the – or can you say a little bit more about the um, the way you pose um, your models? Uh, do you mm. think you're influenced in, by, you know, the past with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I like the um, kind of – timeless quality and that and that goes in with with the you know the vintage kind of uh clothing props um and also using that really deep light deep dark kind of light like um my husband and i lived in paris for three years um and it was just so fascinating how with these big like stone buildings 
the thick walls and you get this really deep, intense, light, dark. Mm-hmm. And I, I would see that in a lot of paintings, you know, you, you have a lot of that in, in, in work, the old kind of European uh, Renaissance paintings and such. Um, but yeah, I am very much uh, driven by the past and putting a contemporary spin on it. Yeah. Are there any movements that stand out to you when you think about the way you pose your models that you kind of go, yeah, that's that's very mm-hmm. pre-Raphaelite or that's very yeah. awesome? Yeah. Yeah, I would say for sure pre-Raphaelite. Um, uh, and then, gosh, uh, well, for like, with Zorn, for example, you know, he was very, um, he had good, you know, balance of saturation and but deep tones. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I would say more pre-Raphaelite kind of setup, but not necessarily you know, like I said, with a contemporary spin on it. Yeah, yeah. Certainly as I look at your work, it's different. I can see different things for different um, subjects. Like the men have got a, a Caravaggio kind of, just in the way you have them posed, they've got that kind mm-hmm. of presence to them. Yeah. Whereas the women are would be more pre-Raphaelite, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's just yeah. me. You reckon? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I need to paint um, more masks. Haven't had to, you know, COVID. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I need to, I need to balance that out a little bit. Right. <laughs> um, did uh, you paint when you were in Paris? I this yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh but I wasn't in gallery in any gallery then. In fact, I think the first time I met Kwang Ho was at a workshop um in France. And I was like, "Oh, well, since since I'm in France, I'm going to take the workshop, you know, and yeah. I got to meet with him and then um some friends who came to to the workshop and then there was Kwong as well, so it was a really good fun time and you know painting out in the fields and such. Yeah, lovely. So you yeah. weren't in Paris to paint as such. That wasn't. No, no. This was before that. That was in the nineties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you like and Paris? I thought, oh, I love it. Yeah, but it was different. I didn't have a computer the first time we were there. Second time I did, um, but you know you had to call home at the phone booth that you had to go to the <laughs> back and get a card. Yeah. Back in the day, kids, <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. Did, did you have the uh, little red book with all the arrondissements in it? I can remember going around Paris. Oh yeah, that little thing. You know that. You know the yeah. one I'm talking about. Yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. Indecipherable. Very difficult to read that book, but oh yeah, helpful yeah. once you got the hang of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, what I got I got used to the subway system, so I kind of figured it out and yeah. Uh, lovely. Um, 
Helen Godina in Mexico says, do you have something in mind before working with the model? So you kind of answer that, but yeah, anything, trigger anything there, that question? Um, I like to have a plan, yeah. Um, and so it depends on the model and how they would work with whatever type ideas I'm having, you know. So, um, and if I'm using, like, um, for example, that one model that was in the, well, one of my paintings for the Art Nouveau show, um, and she just has this real classical kind of profile, and and she looks like she was a model for Luca, you know. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, that is a perfect model for what I'm trying to do here, you know. And so she just kind of worked, and she she also is a dancer, so she she could move and kind of get into these um, interesting kind of flow positions. So what I'll do is I'll take photos while they're moving too. Mm. So it becomes more of a natural instead of like a, you know, kind of a <laughs> static position. Yeah. You know, they're moving, there's gestures, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I like to have a plan um, and, uh, you know, get the props out. I want them to wear um, the backdrop and such. Um, yeah. Maybe I have, what's funny is I have <clears throat> uh, north light, <clears throat> but I have blackout curtains. So I can absolutely control how much light's coming in. Yeah. Because otherwise, if I opened up all the all these windows right now, you, I'd be so like blind. You, I, you'd be blinded because it'd be so like white out. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that control. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So you get your shadows. That's it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Shadows. Yeah. Get my shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you paint? This is more from Helena. Do you, do you or Helena? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Helena, I think it's Helena. Uh, do you paint studies before you approach a big canvas? Well, I should. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Um, I'm getting off the arc, please. <laughs> yes, yes. Somebody's putting me to task. Um, I think. I. I think when I go a little bigger. Um, I actually will do some Photoshop to kind of come up with a, kind of a con- concept. Um, and um, I haven't really done much of the, the small studies, but I also haven't done like any huge paintings. So um, I think it depends on the painting. You know, if, it, if it's going to be a multi-figure kind of thing, I should, you know, kind of make a construct, an initial construct, and then go from there. Um, but otherwise, not really. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it sounds like it's part of what I was calling this collage process of getting all these elements like color. It seems mm-hmm. like that's part of that and getting the color mm-hmm. balance right with the model and it's it's almost right. like you're doing that in your head. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah, and it's really funny because like I will 
come up with a really beautiful um, image. But outside of that image is chaos and trash. And, you know, so you, you're seeing the, like, a beautiful painting set up, and then, but you don't see the rest of the room. It's sort of like I'm manipulating everything to make it this one light hit just right. So, yeah. and I think we all do that. I, I know that I'm not alone in that. Um, but, you know, we all have our methods and, like, throwing stuff together to make it work. Yeah. Um, how long does it take to finish a piece? That's uh, Helena's last question. Oh, boy. Well, it depends. It really depends. Um, you know, there is that. It, it's hard to say because, again, I I have my family. I've got, well, not only I have my mom who who is in a, a facility now because she had a stroke a couple of years ago, which I had to be the power of attorney and help take care of things. And so it's sort of like you have so many demands on your time that you, you find these mo little time constraints and then, oh, I have a couple of hours. I can work some more on this. So it's really hard to like clock in, clock out. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I've talked about this kind of, I, I think most of us get this question. How long does it take you to do a painting? And it, and, and what I've heard from people is, well, it takes me, uh, 30 years of, to get to the point where I can do this painting. But I, you know, like per hour, it depends. And then maybe I get caught up in something and I want to change it. And, you know, so it's really, I, I don't even know how to, I think that's a really hard question. Uh, but I would say that the smaller paintings are easier to get done in a shorter amount of time. That could take a day or two, um, or two hours. You know, you know, just depends yeah. on what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't sound like you, you know, like what you were saying about you're not ready to paint a certain painting. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'll get so far with the painting and then I have to put it away for a while. Um, you know, so yeah. it's like trying to, well, how do you calculate that? You know, I can't remember how many, how much time I put in in the first bit. And then, yeah. you know, maybe it, it faced the wall for a month yeah. or two and then it comes back, you know, like a, a yeah. similar like that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. um, I, I have done that where it's like, you know, I'm just, something, something's not working. I'm in my own head. I need to get away from this and come with fresh eyes later on down the line. So exactly, I'll put it in the closet, and then it could be it could be a half a year, a couple of years later, and I find it. And it's like oh, you know, and I'm coming with a fresh new perspective, and then and then you're able to see what it was that, you know, but I I don't know. It's sort of like you look at a painting too long, and then you start agonizing over it, and you're like I can't look at it right now. Yeah. You know, you're yeah, starting yeah. to. Dissect it to the point you're like, oh, I can't stand it. You got to, you got to move on and do something fresh. Come back and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, what does the drawing phase look like for you? Do you draw with paint? Do you draw with <clears throat> charcoal? 
how do you get it from this the screen or the if they've done a Photoshop thing or you know how do you get it on the canvas? So if it's a relatively small painting, I can just I'll either start drawing in shapes with with uh, the oils. Um, I also can do like a charcoal or graphite kind of sketch in and then um there's so many ways to do it right there's and, and i'm not a stickler for archival you know <laughs> everything because there's so many ways people do so many things and and it's like you just find what works for you and um but i when i started the learning how to paint in oils she had a draw the drawing on the panel and then you take uh you spray on um retouch varnish to set it and then you start painting and following the lines and then going through and finishing out but um sometimes i just go directly in um if it's a larger painting i will do a grid system uh just so that everything's in the right place um and uh, and then just start pa painting in those lines, you know, when the drawing, um, yeah. or freeform it, you know, and hope hope it works. <laughs> and it's it is it's it's weird. It's it's hard when you don't find a lot of time to do it. You're sort of like, okay, I got to just throw it down and yeah, just bite your nails while you're at it. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um what, what sort of fun yeah. That's the fun part? Yeah. Yeah, to see what you can get in the short amount of time. Yeah. Uh what sort of substrate do you like to paint on? Um, anything and everything. I'm sort of a survivalist. It's like, well, if I don't have that color paint, what what other can I use? Um and then I'll just make it work um but uh i you know the belgian linen um i've got panels from artifacts um and so the circular one back here is an artifact it's just a uh that is a gestoed panel um one of their um dye bond or the composite panel um i like I mean, for the bigger paintings, might need more of the stretched canvas just for weight. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of I kind of paint on everything, you yeah. know, whatever's there. You know, I'll just I I'm not I'm. Do you know um, this artist? I think her name is Ellen Marie or something. She's in Antwerp. She has these beautiful, big, figurative yes. paintings. Yeah. Yes. And I saw, and here's the thing. I grew, I started learning how to paint, and it's like all these rules and archival, and you can only use this, that, and the other. And um, I was looking at her Instagram uh, feed, and she had these paintings where literally she had gessoed over flattened, used shipping boxes cardboard boxes which still had tape on it 
And she gessoed over it and then did these beautiful figures on it. And I was like, wow, you know, I mean, yeah. it was compelling and beautiful and upcycling. And, you know, I'm sure that there's those purists out there that will be like, oh, no, that's terrible. It's going to rot in three years or <laughs> peel off well, or something. Well, there's that off. as well, yes. <laughs> so there's that. And, uh, but, you know. Well, maybe that's it, what she wanted, you know. <laughs> that, exactly. Exactly. You know, um, who knows? It's, it's, I'm sure, yeah. It's acrylic space, probably, but. Yeah, well, who's the, you know, the German guy, he's not Richter, it's the other fella. Um, uh, his name is escaping me, but his, he does these huge paintings, and they're designed to decompose. That's the way he's made them. You know, they're designed oh, really? to, well, not completely decompose, but the, the fact that they will deteriorate is built into it for him. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I saw a thing, a documentary about conservators, and <laughs> because uh -huh. he's been he's been gone for as long as Gerhard Richter, and Ansel Kiefer, that guy. Okay, I'll, I'll and uh, yeah, he's been gone for as long as um, and they're they're big abstract kind of paintings, but they're huge, you know, like they're ten yeah. meters by ten meters, you know, they're huge, and uh, the conservators are just standing around with their arms folded, going, "How are we going?" You know, this is like a thirty-year-old painting, and it's. It's, it's falling apart, and they're like, how do we conserve it when it's designed not to be conserved? <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very slow process, fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just shred over time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so do you do a grisaille sort of phase at all? No, no. Is that a the green underpainting? Well, um, mono, monochrome. Monochrome. Um, not really. No. I mean, I guess you know, just to get the block, the block in. Um, but not really. I go directly in. Yeah. Well, it's I, like the from what I understand, the idea of a grisaille is, is to get the values first, and then oh. sort of add color. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do like an. I mean, it depends on the painting. I, I'll do like an underpainting just to get the form down. Yeah. But usually it's, it's going right in with okay. colors. Uh, Martin Prado in New York says, ever since you were featured on Mark Carter's YouTube video, your painting style has been a big influence on me. Uh -oh. When you are painting, would you say each mark is the last mark you make on that part of the canvas, or are you often painting back over the marks you've made? Well, there's, I guess, you know, you have your different levels of painting. And sometimes, yeah, you go over and, and maybe you'll refine some marks. Um, maybe you'll, it's, but there's that lean to fat kind of aspect where, you know, the underpainting's leaner and more transparent. And as you build up, you get more of that, um, that kind of chunky paint. Um, but so, I mean, I do that, but yeah, I, I, I mean, we all, I think it's just bringing in and refining and finding the marks that you can kind of, you know, 
I guess when I paint, I'm not looking to be exact and um, super rendered throughout. You know, I want some big, unexpected marks, um, edges, and such. Um, so, I guess I guess the only thing I can say is that yeah, sometimes it depends on what I'm painting and depends on the area that I'm painting. Yeah. From what you're saying, it sounds like that that is something you discover at the end of the painting, meaning, oh, yeah, that was an area I didn't have to go back to. This right. area, I did, but it's not like you're going, okay, now I'm going to do this bit, then I'm going to do this other bit, and, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's just, it's, I constantly, I'm going around and looking, and, you know, then I walk away from it, and I come back and see if it's, if I'm still stuck on something, you know, and it's just kind of an aesthetic. Like what, what can you pick and choose? What needs to be rendered? What needs to be just left alone? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also says, any insights into your thoughts slash methods on edges and how you approach oh. and execute edges? Okay, so um, that's things that I teach in my class too. Um, and I've learned this kind of idea through Ron Hiss as well and, um, and Kwong Ho. Very good with edges. Um, but, uh, so the way I approach it is if you have, for example, if you're looking at me here and if you're not looking, if, but if you think of like the top of my head is dark hair and then you have this light behind me, so that's an area where you could have a real hard edge and just like make a very strong brush stroke. And that creates, you know, there's a plane here and then atmosphere back here. But then you see this part of my hair sort of blends in with the background. So that's an opportunity for a loft edge. Yeah, the lighter part of your hair. Just the lighter blending. part of the hair going in to, to the background, which is about the same value is a lost edge opportunity. So I don't want to be too carried away with edges, but there's just certain marks where it's like if there's a light and a dark right next to each other, that's a good time to kind of show off that edge. Yeah. If that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that does. Yeah. 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 Um, so do you paint... Alaprima, or are you using glazes? I'm not sure. Hmm. <laughs> I have the intent for Alaprima, but never finishes, so I have to then. So, I'm not a glazer per se. I, it's something I want to try, though. I mean, that's the thing. You just always find something new to play with um, as far as painting. Um, and, uh, but I do like to play with texture, like in a background or if I tone a canvas and, you know, I'm not the only one that does this. It's the, um, you know, just kind of throwing on some real lean color and let it kind of drool down the paint, the panel. And then you have this really wonderful texture underneath, but, um, I haven't glazed yet. Yeah. I haven't practiced that yet. 
um, sometimes like uh, that painting of uh, called Cosmic, um, the one with Brandon and the fur jacket, and I think you posted that on your. Um, yeah. That was a failed painting underneath, so I sanded it down, and I, then I got this wonderful texture. You know, it's like yeah, upcycle. Yeah. So yeah, um, I kind of took advantage of that. Yeah. So it sounds like you're more doing layers of aluprina rather than that kind of premeditated, mm-hmm. premeditated glazing thing where people are doing this color because I know when I put these other five glazes on top of it, it's going to have this effect. And it's, it doesn't sound like that. Right. Right. I, I think it's, it's more of just buildup of the layers of painting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Amanda Lee Jones in Austin says, what's your favorite uh, color? <laughs> well, it depends on what I what I'll say one color that I really love and I was really using a lot and I may use, depending on, you know, the color situation, but um, was Chinese orange from uh, Sennelier. It was this fiery, transparent orange, and I love kind of throwing that color down. It's so much fire in it. Um, but I don't know if there's like, a, you know, I like discovering new colors. Um, and I think you were, I was listening to you talk to, uh, Jeremy Licking, and he, I think he uses like the king's blue and the brilliant pink to kind of uh, put in his skin tones, and those are beautiful colors. That they're from Michael Harding. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I've heard somebody ask else her what her Chinese ask her what her favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she teaches my son. She's a ah, she's okay. here and she's a fabulous artist as well. So oh, good. Do you have a set palette that you will always start with, though? Um, I do have. I'll say that I have a palette that I use as a starter kit kind of thing, and what I use for my classes. Um, and it's, you know, white, cad, yellow, <clears throat> uh, yellow ochre, cad red, alizarin crimson, transparent oxide red, manganese, blue, um, ultramarine blue, viridian, um, burnt sienna, and then transparent oxide brown, and then a black, something like that. And yeah. so, um, but then it depends on the painting, and then I might throw in some other odds and ends colors. Um, you know, you have the limited palette, which is the four colors, um, and then you have something like Rose Franson does, where she has like 52 colors going on on her palette, yeah. which to me is like, I can't. It, it's, <laughs> I, I just have to go on her magic carpet ride, you yeah. know? Um I, if you haven't if you haven't uh, interviewed her, you should. She's 
she's a trip. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I like to kind of stay within a certain range and then add as I go. Yeah. 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 And what is your preference for white? Um, typically I use titanium, but, um, I, we had, um, Jazz Knight do a workshop here, uh, I guess it was last, last, uh, month. And he was using, uh, lead white and, uh, I haven't really used it and I got some and I tried it and I was, I was thinking that it had a different flavor. It added a certain flavor to the colors, <clears throat> a little bit more saturation and so I kind of want to play with that and see, yeah. see how that works. But yeah. but yeah. And what about black? Do you have a preference in black? I like just the um, ivory black because it's like pure black, and I can always add to it. Um, you know, uh, I haven't really played played with other versions of black because I don't. You know, I think I've tried Mars, but it wasn't getting the nice crisp dark that I was needing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kim Christopher in Canada says, Karen's work yeah. never ceases to stop me in my tracks. Um, I'm always mesmerized by her brushwork, compositions, and color sense. How does she get that lush impasto strokes? Does she use a lead white? Uh, thanks, Karen. Love your beautiful work. Mm -hmm. So, um, thank you, Kim. Um, her work is amazing too. Uh, so um, I love I love I I know most of these people, so it's so great. Um, uh, but anyway, yeah, she's she's really good. Uh, so uh, thank you, and yeah, I like playing with texture. I just love um, you know, and that's kind of the idea of playing with edges too. You know, you can put an edge of real beautiful color around, you know, a certain area. You know, when you play with an edge, you don't necessarily have to be light and dark. It could be just a, you know, contrast of high chroma, and then you just lay it down with big, thick paint. Um, and I love that. Um, and, uh, you know, so some of it's real thinned out. Some of it I leave open. You know, so having an underpainting or, or a toned canvas, some of that shows through. Um, but I like that kind of pull and pull, push and pull with texture. Um, and, uh, you know, when I block in, when I block in my painting, I go with the bigger, bigger brushes. And then as I get closer into more detailed work, then I go, you know, smaller brushes. Yeah. Uh, Claire Mears Stefani in Pittsburgh says, Yay, I love his podcast. Okay, thanks. Oh. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear your sure. paint I'd love to hear your paint colors for painting skin tones. Uh, they are so fresh and full. 
And Hilary Swingle in Utah says, um, I proudly own an original Karen Offutt painting. Um, I love looking at it every day. John loved the pod. <laughs> okay, thanks, Hilary. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear her talk about her skin tones and the colors she uses. Uh, does she paint from life or from photos? Well, you answered that already. Um, in the painting I own, I can tell that yeah. she glazed the background. So skin tones, any magic <laughs> wand that you've got for skin tones? Okay, you might have. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I don't know. Kind of a basic uh, starter for skin tones for me um, is like a sh average shadow um, would be like a mixture of burnt sienna and uh, manganese, and I kind of stick to the warm side. I don't want to go cool. You know, here's the thing. I, you know, I feel like um, I just do what I do the way I do it, and other artists do what they do and they, the way they do it. I don't see it as like a yes or no or good or bad if it's done, you know, you know, you get your values down. But on the way I do it is that I want to keep the the temperature of the shadows on the warm side and then pull in cool notes. Um, so, you know, with the starter shadow, manganese and, and um, uh, burnt sienna. The burnt sienna that I use is the uh, Michael Harding because it, it seems lighter and I don't understand because like when I see other brands it looks like it's transparent oxide red and thin you know dark so I like a little bit of like a if you're like a value of eight one being white ten being black you know seven or eight as a as a uh, starter average uh, value in, in the shadows and then um, you know Kind of a combination of that with white as the mid-tone or half-tone and then adding more white to your um, burnt sienna. Depending on the color of the skin, you know, you adjust it, um, but it's all kind of the same. But I, that's, those are the colors that I basically start with. And then I add like strings from uh, cad red. So what I'll do is I'll take white and make the string. So you have the saturated cad red and then add a little bit of white. So you have this really beautiful transition into the pink. And then so I'll do that with most of those uh, colors. Um, Alizarin Crimson, for example, uh, add those strings into my piles. Um, and then Viridian is a really beautiful uh uh, cool notes put in the skin tone, you know, but it's just like you take a little bit, you know, you do a, str a string with the white there, you take the same value, put it in that one pile, and then it changes it just ever so slightly because the way I paint is more optical mixing where you have, you have your values and then you have different temperatures within the values and so that's why you know when people say oh it looks like a photograph well if you go up to it you'll see like there's blues pinks 
you know, yellows, blue, you know, in different values, neutrals, you know, uh, high saturation and, and, you know, big brush stroke here and like a highlights just a, you know, you see it from afar, but then you see it up close and you can tell what kind of, what size brush it is and, you know, it's very deliberate. Yeah. Um, so, and she has the painting of um, Brie with the pink feathers. The pink feathers was a little bit of a challenge because you can't do hot pink throughout, you know. It has to be kind of a neutral, kind of a natural, neutral, um, warm tone. And then you bring the pink to the end of the feather. But I did play with a lot of different colors to get that real hot pink. So it was fun. That was fun. But yeah, I do. And then, um, oh, in brilliant pink, a little bit in that, um, is, is wonderful. And the, you know, uh, the, the, uh, King's Blue is a great addition to certain areas, you know. I mean, just looking at me, I can see I'm like this big. But I can see I have a little cool here, you know, in the temple. It's like an opportunity to put cool down. Yeah. You know, things like that. I just, I, I like seeing the, the skin, but then I'm dissecting what is that shape doing? And I don't want to, I don't want, it's sort of like you're looking for a likeness, but at the same time, you're looking for realism and, and, and that three-dimensional aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. She also says, what mediums do you like to use? Uh, what what medium do you use for glazing? Okay, so when I start glazing, <laughs> it's practice it, I'll learn. Um, so I, I used to use um, poppy oil, and that just took forever to dry. And then I started using walnut oil, and so that keeps it, easy to paint for a while you know you don't it doesn't it dries within a, a nice amount of time but it gives you time to paint um, I also started using oleo gel from Rublev beautiful and light um, and and so when I paint I like to oil back in when I'm when the painting's dry and I need to keep going on it so I'll oil back in um, and oleo gel is really great for that. Um, and, uh, and I got this, you know, Terry Moore Strickland, she does these blogs and some video um, blogs, I guess you call them. Or she'll have like a little tip for things, <clears throat> you know, certain aspects of painting. And she did this, um, these tips for how to varnish. Varnish has always been a hassle for me. Um, and so she, what she would do is when the painting is, is pretty dry or is dry, she would use a mixture of uh, Galkid and Gamsol, half and half, mix that up and use one of those uh, sponges to apply it and let it dry for about three weeks. And you can go over that if you need to fix something. Then she'll go over it with uh, uh, Gamvar as a final um, varnish. 
So I started kind of doing that, and it really has been great. So um, now, I'm like I said, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't know all this. <laughs> well, I don't the, know. The, what's the advantage of the of the Galkid and um, it unifies the surface. Oh, so, okay, yeah. so what happens, what I noticed on some things is that if you go directly into Gambar, some of it will bubble up. It won't, it's okay. like it's not adhering to part of the painting. And so you have like this shiny part and then this not, you know, so it's kind of not unified. Yeah, right. You know, so that, this helps that situation. Okay, yeah. That's good. Yeah. And I'm sure there's other people with other products that probably do the same thing. It's just, uh, you know, it's always something. Now, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're thinking to yourself, God, I'm really enjoying this podcast. I've listened to a few now and they're brilliant. And there's so many of them. And I've learned so much from listening to them. And you know what? If I met that John Dalton fellow in real life... I'd love to buy him a cup of tea and have a chat with him. I'd love to do that every month if I could. Well, now you can. The tea part, at least, because this podcast runs on cups of tea bought for me by people like you who listen to the podcast and send me the price of a cup of tea once a month through the Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash John Dalton, Genty Does It, all one word. And if you're one of those people who already send me cups of tea through Patreon, thanks a million. The tea is lovely and I really appreciate it. Now, the great thing is that if you can't afford to send me the price of a cup of tea or you don't want to, that's fine. You still get exactly the same podcast for free. It's sort of an honor system where the people who can afford it and want to pay for the people who can't or don't want to. So it's all lovely. So if you'd like to send me a cup of tea once a month, you can do that through Patreon. I'd really appreciate it. It makes a huge difference to me. Uh, Dr. Preetham Pai in India says, beautiful painting. She's talking about your painting, Blue Moon. Uh-huh. And she says, my, my question is, how did you paint the thin, transparent, lace-like dress in this painting? Or what types of brush did you use? Mm, if I can remember. Um, that's a good question. I... I did, maybe that is a little bit of glazing, I guess, to get that transparent. Um, cause she had like, um, this, this, uh, wall, uh, uh, fabric that I had. So it's transparent, the light comes through. So it was a little on the transparent side. So, and, and then also there were these cool light elements coming in. So I added some of the cool light, but transparent. Um, and it's just this, I would say, uh, the brush was, uh, I'm not really a particular about brushes. I'll have, I'll just get a bunch and see what works. Um, but for those small pieces, I'll use more of the synthetics, um, cause they're soft and you can just kind of lay something down without it getting too you know, uh, uh, textured. Yeah. Uh, Courtney Lee Holder in Texas says, you do these lovely small portraits with such fine detail. 
like the 5x5 size. Would you mind sharing what kind of detail brushes you like to use? Um, again, it's just those kind of... Uh, I don't really... Brushes are so expensive, and so I don't like to, especially with those small brushes, I don't know how long they last, so I don't want to spend too much money. Um, and so we have a Jerry's Artorama, just like five-minute drive. And so I'll go there and, like, pick up some of these, like, synthetics that are just flat, and they're, like, tiny. Um, and it depends on the area that you're – the shape that you're filling in. Um, and, uh, there are, you know, I like to make sure that I don't get so super refined with my brush work that I'm using a tiny brush for the whole cheek. You know, I want to make one solid, um, you know, shape and just get, get it right as much as I can. And then these tinier elements just, you know, uh, Get your get your synthetics, the real soft brushes, not the not the um, hog hair type thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Chelsea says I'm really loving the pattern work that you've been doing as wallpaper. Do you use a stencil or is it all freehand? What inspires your patterns? One of my favorite, all-time favorite portraits is the one of your son with the four hats when we were talking about. And yeah. I once got to see it in person during East in Austin. It's Ooh. gorgeous. I'm looking forward to seeing what you paint next and hearing your interview. So, yeah, well, patterns, stencils, inspiration for the patterns. This is fabric that you can get printed. Um, and I like, I like getting, um, you know, some tapestry or something. Uh, that gives it sort of a timeless quality. You can have like paintings printed. There are these companies online. Um, Society Six is one of them. Um, so like the painting I did of my son where I had to take video, for example, that painting is actually a finalist in the uh, international portrait um, competition for the Portrait Society of America. Great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so that inspiration is um, after COVID hit and we were all quarantining, my mom had moved to Austin. She was in our neighborhood, but we would FaceTime with her. And so um, the kids and my mom started doing these uh, uh, finger puppets. So she, they would draw a little smiley face and do a finger puppet and play these games. And so um, I thought that would be a great, you know, COVID painting, COVID-inspired, quarantine-inspired painting. And uh, so my mom being um, having the wholesale company, the Needlepoint, uh, she designed a lot of these, these uh, Needlepoint canvases. So she had – I wanted – him in an environment that was connecting him to my mom and so I have him holding up his finger with the with a smiley face on it he's standing in front of a needlepoint wall hanging so I'd say it's about a 30 by 40 uh, inch um, and it was stitched by my grandfather in Sweden 
Wow. So there's multi-levels. Uh, and it was the first time that I've ever painted needlepoint on a painting, which was very daunting um, because I don't really like going into too much detail. I like to kind of infuse a little bit of atmosphere and, you know, your eyes kind of figure it out, you know. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so I wanted to stay and make, you know, I wanted it to look like as much as possible a, a, a needlepoint, a stitched needlepoint. So, so that was fun and, and hard, but, you know, I, I had to take my time with it. So again, I can't tell you how many hours it took me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love, I love, painting these these patterns and such i i don't haven't done stencils yet but you know never say never uh but i just like the free form and just trying to create kind of a i, I did one painting where it was just a printed block printed indian kind of uh red and cream colored basic print and then when i painted it it looked like a tapestry, so that was fun. I kind of gave it some some body to it, um, but I like it. I just I just like playing with that. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, and some of it is like um, interior design, or like you could get um, this fabric for uh, upholstery fabric. That you know, so many places you can get like curtains, fabrics for curtains. Oh, the painting I did of myself that you posted with the funky glasses. Mm -hmm. That background, that was at my mom's house in her uh, bathroom. And that was just a plastic uh, shower curtain. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, play with what you got. Yeah. Where were the glasses from? Uh, so that was on, um, that was on Mother's Day and we went, uh, we went with the whole family, my mom and, uh, my mother-in-law. We went to this wonderful, uh, restaurant in downtown Austin. And we finished eating. The kids were a little antsy. So I took them down to this toy store down the street. And they were just $2 or $10 glasses. Very uncomfortable. They don't sit on your face, but they looked amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looks like it from the seventies or something. The whole pink right. painting looks like from the seventies. Yeah. 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 So, so, so it was fun. I was like, oh, that, I think I'm gonna paint that. So. Yeah. Um, Vicky Sullivan on Patreon. Uh, thanks for the tea, Vicky. Says, mm. uh, hi, John and Karen. Great podcast, John, and brilliant paintings, Karen. Oh, I love okay. your brushwork, Karen. Do you have any tips to improve brushwork? Um. I would say um, that now it depends on the size of your painting, but I, you know, with a big, with big areas, I do like to use those more hog hair type brushes. You get texture. It holds a lot of paint. And sometimes when I'm mixing color on my brush, Sometimes I don't overmix it. Like I, I'll have like, you'll have a little bit of one color on one side and another color on the other. I don't 
sometimes overmixed, so you get like a blend, mm-hmm. like streaks of different colors, you know. Um, but I think when you find those areas that really stand out in whatever you're painting, you know, play with getting a really big pile of color or, or that color on your brush and just put it down and leave it there. You know, get a big brush, put it down, leave it there and say, that might work, you know, could I just leave it? You know, it's just take it. It's just kind of taking chances, really, and and thoughtful, but but allowing yourself not to overthink. It's like, you know, how like you get scared or apprehensive to to make something, make a change. It's like, well, what, what, what? You can no, always. Think, I, don't, I don't know what you you're know? talking about at all. Yeah. No. <laughs> This, this hasn't, you know, it's like you're holding your breath, like, oh, if I do that, it's going to ruin the painting. No, it's not. You know, you can always fix it. Yeah. So it's sort of like just make that, um, find that shape, just be really deliberate, put it down, don't overthink it. You know, it's that right brain, left brain. Which is it, the left brain that's, uh, the right brain is creative. So you need to leave, you need to be on the right brain and let the left brain leave the room. So you can just kind of autopilot and not overthink it. So that's kind of the way. Yeah. I heard you talking somewhere about um, changing your hand position depending on which way you're making your mark. You know, if you're going from left to right, it's one way, and then if you go the other way, it's, you change position. Is that a thing yeah. you still do? Um, yeah. Um, depending on what I'm doing, um, it, it's part mainly from what I learned through Elizabeth's teaching is, you know, when I was doing the figure eight, it's also teaching you how to hold your brush, your figure eight kind of do, you know, you're going back and forth up and down and learning how to stand back, apply the paint so you're not up here and trying to, you know, hold a pencil and, you know, you're you're standing back and, and letting your arm make that passage, you know, and, and so... You can, like, I'll have a paintbrush that I hold in my, on my hand real lightly. So it's almost just balancing. And so, yeah, so I, I think it really helps to stand back and use this kind of loose, um, arm movement. And, um, I think it helps loosen up your, your brush work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's, um, <laughs> so well, Karen has been saying that she's been doing it in the air. So it looks like what yeah. you're, what you're, or <laughs> like what I'm, what I'm seeing is that it's making the brush, it's making the, um, the mark with your whole body rather than your fingers. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Is that it? So that's what I try to, and, and, you know, I hold, I, I try to get my students to hold the brush at the very end or at least hold it at the very end, as opposed to right by the bristles. 
Yeah. You know, they get up close and it's like, okay, you need to make a bigger mark, but you can't with that tiny brush and being so close to it. You know, you have to be able to see what you're painting and see the image and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Ken Cunningham on Patreon, thanks for the tea. Ken says, hello, Karen, love your work, particularly your pieces that use open passages as a part mm-hmm. of the finished piece. Mm-hmm. These movements, these moments where you allow the underpainting to come through are sublime. Oh. As it's something I try to incorporate in my work, I'd love to hear your perspective on how you approach this. Is the placement of these open passages a part of the design of the piece from the beginning? Or something you arrive at organically <laughs> as you build to a finish? I think the latter, yeah. So I think it's more of that, it's an, in- I don't have a specific, when I, when I think about painting and I have the image and the result is in my brain, but it's, a, it's blurred, you know, so I have an idea. I don't have a finished product in my head it's just sort of like okay now I'm on the journey to figure out how am I going to put this image onto a canvas um and so I I usually do that at the end or or towards the middle to the end it's sort of like it just happens naturally it's like oh because you until you're painting you don't really see those opportunities or at least I don't and um, so that part of it is like, oh, well, I could just, instead of super rendering this area, I could just put this big, you know, brush stroke and leave it, you know. So, um, and then, oh, is this information really necessary? You know, my thing is, is that, you know, when I think of painting people or seeing people, seeing spaces or, you know, where I am, like a, being in a landscape or whatever, when I think back on it, I can't remember every single detail, but I know the the feeling. And so, part of it is when I paint, I you're you're I want your eye to move through it, and you like you don't see if you're if you're looking at a picture, and then you look away, you don't remember every single detail. So. You don't need to put in every single detail. You just yeah. put the essential information in, and then and then leave things kind of, you know, to a lost edge. You know, an elbow goes into this darkness. You don't need to put an edge. You know, you don't have to outline everything. So yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Lester on Instagram says, you use a variety of techniques to achieve texture in your paintings. Do you ever experience choice paralysis when deciding which strategy to use on a given pass? Love your work. Yeah. I miss Austin immensely. Go oh. AHS Maroons. Does something to you? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know who that is, but... Um I guess it's I a. Swear, I certainly it's don't. A, yeah, I guess it's a sport thing. Um, I don't follow sports really, but I should. But I just don't have time right now. But um, anyway, uh, so the question was, 
choice choice paralysis. Yeah, I have choice paralysis, and that's when those are those paintings that we hide in the closet until we figure out the choices that would be that we're ready to explore. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But but then I also don't get caught up in worrying too much. If I don't like it, I sand it down and reuse it, start over. Um, I did a painting where I didn't like the form of, it's called fading. I didn't like what I was doing and I wasn't going to overthink it. Um, you know, it's a painting of a woman and um, I didn't get her form in the way I wanted to. So I did want to fix it. So I sanded it down. So you still, it's funny how you sand things down and then you get this really wonderful image underneath. Have you noticed? Yeah, Have you ever yeah, seen yeah. that where you scrape it down? It's like, ooh, that's cool, you know? <laughs> um, so I did that and then I started over again and I left like, you know, the sanding scratches and I left some of that coming through the skin and it was in, and in, in the background, it was really, interesting so i kind of take advantage of well you know i'm stuck i don't know what to do with it how about i try this over again or you know sand this part down um and then try to reimagine what i can do with it um and even the the painting called blue moon i that was an imagined background of the moon and the stars um, otherwise, that was just on a stage, and um, you know, so I, I had to make up that background. And what I did was I had a I had a photo of uh, the sky and this moon with with some clouds that was beautiful, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna kind of superimpose that into the background of the painting. Yeah. So yeah, it's don't sweat it, don't sweat it, because you can the pair. The paralyzing can just, the paralysis can really just keep you from going forward. So don't sweat it. Put it away. Get another painting. You know, start a new one, a small one, just to kind of get over that hump, and then readdress it when you're ready. Yeah. Brilliant. Life's too short. (laughs) How do you check yourself as you're working? You know, like some painters have used mirrors a lot or they'll be squinting or um, turning the canvas upside down or getting their friends in to give them some critiques. What sort of things do you do? All that. Um, And I use mirrors. I look at the mirror upside down. I look at backwards. Um, And um, because your eye is always assuming what it's seeing. And if you're tired, it's really bad to do that. Um, so if you're tired, you really need to just go to bed or lay down or, you know, do something else. Get fresh eyes on it. Um, so I do that. I squint uh, down. Um, I want to see how three-dimensional it is just by squinting down. You know, if I don't have that three-dimensionality to it, I have to address it um and then on occasion i'll send it to a friend or something and say why am i not happy you know (laughs) tell me tell me what's wrong with it something's wrong and i can't you know so yeah 
I mean, do you take uh, pictures on your phone as well? As, yeah. As you're going, yeah. Yeah, I do like a progression uh, thing. Not always accurate, but you know, with the light stuff. But I try to do that as much as possible, just so I can kind of record that and I'll share it or uh, do it for a class. So. But do you do it as yeah. part of your checking how you're going? You know, because sometimes yeah. people, you can see it small, yeah. or you can take the color out of it, make it black yeah. and white. You can flip it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you there's also that No Ten app. Um, that What's you that? can. I heard of that one. Um, No Ten. Um, I don't know who he was, but it's it's that kind of. Um, it's sort of just seeing the light and shadow, and it gives you the variation of light and shadow. So. Um, you can see it about in, in the apps, um, but you can break it down to light and shadow and adjust it so that you see more of the light, more of the shadow, and then they have three different levels, so light, half the mid-tone, and, and shadow, or break it down even more. Mm-hmm. But it is fun to see, to see if you can, you know, how how is the painting looking? Is it realistic from that you know yeah, yeah um there's so many ways you can do it um but yeah taking a picture taking the the uh, uh the color out and uh or great just doing grayscale so um yeah i do all that and you know just checking in yeah yeah brilliant yeah uh, Ellen Star Leon on Patreon. Ooh. Thanks for the tea. Ellen says, um, I just adore Karen's work. Oh. Can you ask about how she builds her paintings and how she thinks about creating so much detail without going too far? Yes. Uh, build the paintings, meaning build the substrate? Or no, I think build up the painting. Oh, okay. Oh. It's just a, it's, it's, yeah, there's so many layers. It's like the first pass, second pass, third, you know, and, and so your your first pass is the leanest part, and then you might leave if there's something compelling in that first pass that you want to leave for the background or something in there. You can leave it. Um, I do like to play with that. Um, and then, um, but yeah, I'm building constantly. So, uh, but again. I will be doing a first rough draft, rough sketch type thing, and then I can't get back to the painting until two days later. It's already dry, so I'll add more paint to it and start building from there like a sculpture. Yeah. Um, so uh, what was the second part of that question? How do you add so much detail without going too far? <laughs> um, yeah. So, So I think what it is is, the way I paint doesn't, I just, I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. It depends on, yeah, I'm not a hyper-realist. Um, I think because I'm making sure that if I'm, you know, like just the tip of the, the finger, for example, just making that one brush stroke, to indicate the tip of finger. I'm not going to try to over-render it. Um, And um, I don't do so much in, like, individual eyelashes, for example. It's just not the way I paint. It's 
you know, I think it's great when people can do that. And, but I think it fights with what the way it, it would look like a sticker. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a, it's, it's like, it would, it would look like somebody just kind of threw it on there and, and be out of, I, I'm just usually just looking at shape relationships and shadows and values and seeing it as abstract in that way. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No? Yeah. It sounds like what people are describing as details are just, it's more, it sounds like, and just from looking at your paintings like closer, mm-hmm. it sounds like it's, it's, it's the same as your bigger marks, but just on a smaller scale. You know, mm-hmm. but when you when you're back from it, it's like, right? Oh, that's very that's very detailed. But when you right. get up to it, it sounds like it's the same way of painting, just on a smaller scale. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, it is that kind of uh uh idea of yeah. It looks like a photograph, or it looks like it's just I don't know how to respond to photographs. But, you know, it looks real, like, I guess, real like a photograph, looks like a three-dimensional thing. But when you get up close to it, you definitely see the marks and, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm looking at a painting across the way that I'm working on, and I don't see any eyelashes necessarily, (laughs) you know, from this point of view. And that's maybe not what I'm trying to achieve. You know, I'm just making a mark indicating that there's a shadow space where that that is in the painting, but it's not, you know, you know, three brush strokes or five, three brush strokes for every five. Yeah. <laughs> just keep that in your mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um... You were talking about your north light in your studio. Do you have any, is that the main way, light source you have, or do you have any other light sources? I have I have other light sources. Um, I've got some big lamps. I've got this um, friend of mine who works in studio lighting for productions, TVs, and TV shows and, and movies. So I got to buy one of her lights that, was being discontinued and um which i use on occasion and then um sometimes i'll get those um uh like simple lights you can get from the uh the um hardware stores and maybe put those uh different colored skins on them to create some interesting light bouncing back um yeah i i do kind of a mixture, but I like to use the north light when it comes to the figure and the, you know, getting that bounce, that beautiful kind of um, authentic light. And what about for your canvas and your palette? Do you have special lighting set up for that or are you just... Um, Yeah. It depends if if it's during the day. um, I got a lot of light from the window that I don't need it but at night I just have one of those clamp on lights you know nothing fancy I haven't gotten fancy with the lighting here as far as you know with people like to have those uh big fluorescent long lamps attached to 
to their ceiling. I haven't gotten one of those yet, which I should, but like, yeah. How do you name your paintings? Uh, I heard that on an interview you had. Um, yeah, so it depends. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, some paintings I don't name until they're done. And, and then I think, what's the first thing I see when I see it? And uh, uh, I did a painting of a friend uh, or this model who's a friend, Megan Morangova, and she was, she, there was this uh, tapestry or the uh, uh, fabric behind her was like a, all this beautiful classical paintings digitally kind of assembled on this fabric of flowers and roses. And so I looked at it and called, and, uh, you know, thinking about feeling vulnerable and not wanting to stand out. And, you know, she's kind of covered up in this black fur coat and she's looking away. And I thought, wallflower, you know, flower of walls and, you know, the kind of pose. Uh, and then uh, connection for that painting of Benjamin with the finger because, you know, they're connecting. Uh, and then that one of Carl Offspring and then Blue Moon. Um, some of it's hard to do. I, I wish I could just say, say uh, untitled one, <laughs> the untitled <laughs> series, you know, um, and I know 